Morning. Morning. Kind of hard to get going with the gray, isn't it? Well, I got a real wing dinger today. We'll get you revved up. How's that? <laughs> Children's church can go ahead and be dismissed. You can go, fellas. <laughs> you can probably want to after you hear what I'm talking about today. Title of my sermon today is Decoding Death. He asked someone to talk about death today. So I lied about the rev you up sermon thing. That was a big lie. Um, it's holiday time, right? And it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be family, friends, celebration, and uh, the joy of the season and all of those things. But frankly and honestly, for some of us, it, it's, sometimes it can be the exact opposite of that. And that's because of, uh, you know, bad memories or lost loved ones, whatever it might be. And um, it's kind of hard to talk about this. So I thought about just scrapping it all together, right? It's not a very easy topic to talk about. And frankly, you, you kind of have to be to that point in your life where you've experienced the loss of a loved one to really be able to gain the gravity of it. And not everybody is there. Like for me personally, I have not... Aside from a couple grandpas, I have not lost anybody really, really, really close to me. I've never had to experience that. Um, however, this last week when we were, uh, we had church down at Coon Rapids and uh, regular church service and uh, got done and uh, found out later that night that Dan Goines, our bass player in the, at the church, passed away total surprise. And so, wow, the guy could be right there. And if you knew Dan at all, always fun, always a laugh, life of the party guy, and just gone almost the next minute. So this, it's been on my mind. And I know that for a lot of us, it's on our minds as we come to the holidays. We even start to think about that a little bit more. And so, hey, why not? Let's talk about this and, and see what we... Uh, what the scriptures can tell us, even though it's a little bit hard to talk about. Um, What makes it really tough to talk about for some of us is this idea that maybe we had family members that have passed on and we know, or we have at least suspicioned or we were insecure about where they were in their faith. And so now all of a sudden, to take a hard line, quote unquote, on this thing called death, we really got to do some mental gymnastics and we really have to deal with some churned up emotions. And it just, it's just plain hard. How do, how do we talk about those things? And I know what you're going to say, preacher. I, I know what you're going to say. And man, it's just so hard when I got my dad or I've got my child. I don't know where they were in their faith. And you're going to come up there and you're going to say all those things. And I know, I know the Bible. I know what it says. But I, I have long ago just put that stuff aside and choked it down because it's so hard to reconcile. And now you're going to come up and you're going to talk about it. (sighs) Anybody else want to come up? (laughs) It is pretty hard. Let's just take a breath. 
let's soak it in, see what the scriptures say. And I think by the end of the day, we can gain some comfort as well. The first thing I would like to say to you today is that death helps us think soberly about life. And that can kind of be the problem because if we got that thing that's hard to reconcile, uh, we want to jump into the make-believe and not deal with it, not think about it, cast it aside because it's too hard, too hard to put that stuff all together. Well, death by default and by nature brings us to a very real and sober outlook on life. There are some benefits to that. So I am going to read from Luke chapter 16 here, but I'm going to start just with one verse from Ecclesiastes. It says this, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. Who, who says that, right? That's pretty tough. You don't ever hear anybody saying stuff like that. So when we come to the Bible, all of a sudden, maybe our defenses are up. The day of death better than the day of birth? That's pretty tough. Well, a good man, a good name is better than fine perfume. I can testify to that one having been called Benji for a major part of my life, all right? But what this is saying is that a good name, a man or a woman who has a good name... All right, one, one that everybody thinks highly of, honored, respected, because he did well and he handled his resources spiritually while he was alive. It's that fella for the day of death is better than the day of birth. When the day of birth came, nobody knew him. He, nobody knew her. He, he or she hadn't had any accomplishments. He or she hadn't reached out and touched anybody's heart in a positive way. Sure, it was great to have a brand new baby, but the day of his death for the good man is great. People, yes, they mourn and they are in grief at the loss of the good man or woman, but they recall the important things. They recall how that individual touched my life, had an effect on me. And so then, then I'm automatically generating thoughts of, man, I got to be more like that. I wish I was more like him or her. How can I be more like him or her? So Solomon, this wise man, wiser than all of us, comes and he tells us something that is a little abrasive, but the day of death better than the day of birth. Who you are is more than what you have. The celebration of the death of a man with a good name is great. Now that's something to think about. I titled this sermon Decoding Death. It's going to take some time right here just to think about this subject. You know, and say what you want to say about my preaching, but I pick good topics, don't I? <laughs> just want to have you all come back next week. We'll discuss taxes. <laughs> Let's go to Luke 16. I, this one's not up there. I'm just gonna, it's a story. I know a lot of you know it. I'm just going to read it here. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his wounds. The time came when the beggar died. 
And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, actually the word there is Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. The first thing I want to say to you from this story that Jesus told, death is as real as the afterlife. Might be part of our problem. Yeah, we know what the Bible says about the afterlife and all of that stuff. But if you've experienced the loss of a loved one, or even my friend Dan this week, you you know death is very real. Now think about that. Death is as real as the afterlife. So you and I, we've got to get used to the fact and become comfortable with that fact that this life is not the real one or the main one. It's the next one. It's the one that God wants us to shoot for. So this man in Hades, in in torment, looks up and he can see Lazarus. And he can see Abraham. And what does he say? So he called to him, Father Abraham. You remember what we talked about last week? The most important question, are you a son or a child of Abraham? So it's a big thing here. Father Abraham, I'm one of your descendants I was Jewish like you. I I came. I can track myself back to you, Abraham. Father Abraham. Now look, listen to what he says. Have pity on me. Like you had pity on the beggar at your gate. Have pity on me and send Lazarus, who was at my gate every day, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony. In this fire. All right. Death focuses us on our values. All of a sudden, everything is cast aside for a moment or a brief few moments, and everything becomes real, and we know what's important, and we know that it's not the stuff that money can buy, right? Death focuses in on what our values are. Back to Ecclesiastes for a second. The first verse of that Bible, or of that book, written by Solomon, this smart guy who had it all and tried everything, the first word, meaningless. Meaningless. The second word, even better, meaningless. (laughs) The next line, utterly meaningless. The next line, everything is meaningless. How's that for a hook, huh? Meaningless. And he goes on the rest of the book and said, I I tried it all. It's chasing after the wind. And a couple of times in the book, he tells us how to win the game of life. And he talks a lot about death in that book. Because you've got to come to it rightly to win life. Meaningless. So death focuses us in, and all of a sudden, all the things we chased after become that, don't they? It just doesn't matter anymore. I'd rather my loved one be back. I'm a little perturbed that death has entered this world, and we have to deal with it and suffer the loss of our loved ones. 
Everything else just gets cast to the side. And for a few brief moments, we have sobriety of thought. Now, it rarely happens. And so that's why it seems to be foreign to us. The third thing I would like to say is death is final. Tough edge, I know. Sharp edge. But Abraham replied to him, son... Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. I don't, I've never talked to Abraham, but he seems like he's pretty firm, isn't he? Black and white, cut and dried. That's why this whole topic is so hard. But Abraham's pretty firm. He said, and besides all this, Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. Final. It's fixed. It's immovable. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there where you're at to us. It's final. You ever heard of the group Sticks? Rotten 1970s band, right? Now, maybe some of you think they're pretty good. And that's what they named themselves after this chasm. It's called the River Styx. It's the great chasm between heaven and Hades, and nobody can cross it. I don't know why you would name yourself after that, but uh, anyway, maybe it sells a lot of records. I don't know. So he answered, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Go warn my brothers so that they can think right, so that they can have sober thinking, so that they don't end up like me down here. Abraham firmly replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. The next thing I would like to say to you is death is foreign to us. We're not ready for it. When it happens, we are on our heels. Abraham says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. We got to get our thinking right while we are alive in this life. Otherwise, we're not going to be ready. You come to the scriptures... You can eke this idea out of them that death can be celebrated. We've got to have a hope in the next life to be able to really grasp a hold of that, though. All right, number two. Listen to this idea. Most of our regular life is designed to get us to forget that death is part of our destiny. I'm going to return to the book of Ecclesiastes for the rest of the time. I'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I already read verse 1 there, that the day of death better than the day of birth. This is verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man and the living should take this to heart. Think about your destiny. I've got kind of a neat story with Coon Rapids. If I get a dramatic flair, I can even say I've got kind of a destiny there. 
but I don't know how it's going to happen or what's going to happen. The only thing about my destiny that I know is that I am going to die. It's my destiny. You too. That's the only day that we know we have coming. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Let me explain that just real quick because it kind of brings it more into focus. In that Jewish culture back in Solomon's day, if you lost a loved one, there was a period of 30 days that you were allowed or that they were, that they gave over to grieve. Seven of those days, the first seven were an intense grieving period. And then they would move into the next 23 or so days where you were sort of trying to reestablish regular life and work your way back in while still coping with and taking the time to properly grieve. I, I think it's a, pretty, it's a pretty good idea. So Solomon says this, it's better to go to the house of mourning. That's that first seven days. Now, he's not saying it's fun or it's easy. He's saying it's good. And he's saying, when you transfer from the first seven days onto that new life or that new grieving of 23 days, that's not quite as bad. He's saying here, it's better to stay in that first one. How can you say that? How can you really say that? Solomon's crying out to us. Death is the destiny of every man. When you're in that house the first seven days, everything is real and you are seeing clearly. It's better just to stay in there because death is your destiny. It's coming and you need to take that to heart. The living should take that to heart. Most of our life is designed to get us to forget that death is our destiny. Your choices, your decisions, where you gravitate, same thing. I don't want to think about that. Solomon's challenging us here. It's better to be in the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. The third thing. Wisdom includes an accurate assessment of sorrow. He says in verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Because a sad face is good for the heart. All right. Uh, Really? (laughs) Who have you ever heard say that? Sadness is so foreign to us that as soon as it happens, what's going on? I got to fix this. Oh, you're sad? Well, let's do something about it. Here's some medication for you. You shouldn't be sad. Something's wrong. It goes even worse than that, too, because we think a lot of people would say, is there really a God? I mean, so many people are sad. Where's God? Is there really a God? But yet that God in his word says that sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Who says all of this stuff? We never hear it from anybody else. And that's why while I read it to you, you're wondering, whoa, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? Or what are the qualifiers? I can't, there's gotta be something else to that. Solomon had tried it all. He challenges us. Hey, you know, you go after all of these things, all of these pleasures, the house of pleasures, 
It's like chasing after the wind. You want to know what it's like? Go try to catch the wind. See how well you do with that. What is your first reaction to sadness? You'd be okay with it? We just sang that he was a man of sorrows. And we sang that we're trying to be like him. And that we want to be like him. It's so foreign, isn't it? Jesus was walking from Bethany to Jerusalem to begin the last week of his life. He knows his death was in a few days. He comes and starts down the Mount of Olives to go into the valley and up into Jerusalem. And the crowd is out there. The crowd is celebrating him. What in the world would he be sad about? But he comes to the point where he looks across the valley to the city of Jerusalem. All of the crowd is there. A bunch of chaos. The Pharisees are telling him to get the crowd in order. All of this, all of that. And he comes to a place where he just weeps for Jerusalem. Because he sees that they are sheep without a shepherd. He sees correctly and soberly and clearly. They're sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he has compassion on them. And I don't know what you think of when you hear that compassion, but the word for compassion there is bowels or stomach. It's this idea that he was sick to his stomach. Even when the whole world's celebrating him at the time. He knows they're sheep without a shepherd. He knows they're so far from the reality of how things are. Even as they celebrate. When you're in the house of mourning, everything is real. It's a good place to be. When sadness comes, your thoughts are more real. It's a good place to be. Last thing I want to say, beware of the fog. That's not a reference to the Kansas Jayhawks, by the way. The fog is that lack of clear thinking that we have. He says in verse 4, It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. So it's almost as if he's anticipating our abrasion to what he's saying to us. And he beats us to the punch and he says, Stop, I know what you're thinking. It's better to you to listen to me and my wisdom than for you to go out and listen to the song of fools. Listen is what he's saying. Same thing he writes in Proverbs. Son, listen to me. I'll save you from all the mistakes. So let's, see, let's heed the words of this guy rather than listening to the song of fools. Now you can kind of even take that literally, the song of fools. What is it that we replace all this wisdom with? What do we use to try to hide the gravity and the emotions of death and the seriousness of it? You remember John Lennon. He says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. (laughs) Just for today. It's easy to imagine. You think it would be good? You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Think about it. No heaven or hell. Then it's time to eat, drink, and be merry, because why? Tomorrow we die. Do you really want it that way? I don't think we do. I want to know that there's something there. 
I want to know that God's got me. I want to know that I have an eternity with him. I want to know that this isn't the only life to be lived. Holy cow. But if I want to know that, but then I never take any time to consider it in sober thought, then, well, I just need to do that. Otherwise, I'm going to listen to the John Lennons. Because all I want to do is have some fun. I got a feeling I'm not the only one, right? (laughs) So we just got to whip it. Whip it good. (laughs) Song of fools, right? Devo. (laughs) Here's another thing. Here's a fun thing. If we're all just about having fun, it's fun to go to the YMCA, right? You know, it's fun to sing all those old dumb songs because we have a little bit of buyer's remorse, don't we? When those songs came out, they were hot and we bought. And now we kind of look back and laugh. How in the world? I I was thinking of this song the other day, Sue Sue Studio. Just say the word, Sue Sue Studio. What in the world is that? Because she makes me nervous, she makes me scared, but I feel so good when I just say the word, Sue Sue Studio. That's Phil Collins. I believe he wrote that when he was drunk. And you just kind of want to say, Phil, if that's your coping tool, okay, more power to you, but I don't get anything from it. Sue Sue Studio should have never made it to the Stu Stu Studio. It's a good one, isn't it? I have always maintained that. It's a stupid song. It's the song of fools. And look at what, look at what we distract ourselves with. We've bought. I think it's because we don't want an achy, breaky heart. (laughs) Uh, It's a good way to illustrate the fact that we listen to the song of fools all the time. And it's the fog. It's a distraction. So Solomon says, listen to me. I know it's a rebuke to your everyday tendencies, but listen, it'll do you well. Jesus also tells a parable about a rich man whose field produced a great crop. And the guy said, I don't know what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. I'll build bigger barns. And this will be great. I'm going to make a lot of money. And Jesus says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. And Jesus was just saying, you took care of everything. You planned everything out. You were insured. You were all the contingencies taken care of, but you didn't even consider the day of your death. The only day you knew was coming. All right, a little depressing, huh? Well, let's qualify minutely, all right? This is also Ecclesiastes. This is also Solomon. It's chapter three. Uh, A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. There is a time for fun and there is a time to dance, but we're erring on that side. That's the birds, by the way. I got all kinds of music in on this sermon. There's a time to weep. I don't think we do it enough. And when it comes time, it's foreign to us. There's a time to mourn. We probably do that sometimes out of necessity 
But you think we could be like Jesus and look at the world as it is, our coworkers, our unsaved family and friends, and can we then mourn because we are moved by the gravity of the situation? All right, one last point, and I will let you go. Jesus promises that we can defeat death. Listen closely. This is him in John chapter 5. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. There's our answer. Now listen. He has crossed over from death to life. This is the point of this thing right here. Our eternal life does not does not start when we have our physical death. Our eternal life can start right now. And then, as the wonderful book of Revelation says to us, the second death, which is the lake of fire, has no power over us. And that's good for you. But your friends and your family need it too, friend. And it might just be you seeing things clearly that gives you the courage to speak up, say something, answer a question or go to your knees in prayer more. Your eternal life starts now. And do not be amazed at this, he says. There's a time coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice and come out. And won't that be a great day? All who hear the voice of the Lord will come out. Everybody's going to hear it. The wicked, the righteous, everybody will hear it and come out of their graves. Hopefully we've taken care of business before we hear that call. Hopefully we hear the word of the Lord, believe it, and we can cross over from death to life right now. All right, I'm going to close with an exercise. We're just going to skip the song, all right? We're all adults here. Well, most of us. You guys are. I have a terrible joke. There, I just tried to save that one. You guys are adults, right? <laughs> well, this exercise will help. We're going to take a few minutes and we're going to consider your death, all right? We're not going to think about insurance or if we got enough money in savings or if everybody else is taken care of. We're going to consider just you and your death. So I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to think about it. Measure the gravity. Just take the emotions in. They're not foreign. They're right. They're okay. Just sit in them. Breathe them in. Feel them. Walk your way through them. It might be today for you. What will you do? Maybe you'll be given another day and it'll be tomorrow. What is left undone? What has been left unsaid? What strongholds in your life have yet to come down?
as you think clearly about the day of your destiny, measure your distractions and how they have put you into the fog and delayed your consideration of this important day. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have provided the remedy and the redemption for all that we fear today. You've taken the sting out of death. Father, give us firm faith in all that you have said. Even in the midst of distractions, even in the midst of conflicts of interest that the enemy wants to bring up and cause us to doubt. Give us firm faith, God, that comes from a clear perception of this life, of death, and the life that is to come. Just right now, God, we give you the praise that your son did not consider it foreign, but it made it his mission to die. God, we know that you call us to fellowship in his sufferings. Help us to rearrange our thinking. Help us to be comfortable with some sadness, some sorrow, some suffering, knowing that we are in your hands, that your plan is made. Your destiny, our destiny set out by you. God, let us just walk with you and go with you. Let us stay on the path, not get distracted, led astray. Save us from the deceitfulness of wealth, God. Let us break free of the entanglements and chains of sin. And let us live today, knowing we will die, but that also we'll live forever with you. Because of your son, and in his name we pray, amen.